to This Grit and Grace Life, a podcast for strong women and those who want to be. From the boardroom to the bedroom, car lines to college, single, married, or single again, real talk for women embracing this grit and grace life. Let's get into it. Welcome to This Grit and Grace Life podcast. I'm Darlene Brock. And I'm Julie Graham. And today we're going to do something a little bit different, ladies. Um, we're going to delve a little bit deeper into Julie's life. You've heard about her losing her husband, Paul, uh, his death that's now almost two years ago. And there's a lot of story around that that, you know, she's had to work through and think through and pray through and feels like now it's it's a good time to tell it, to share it with you ladies, because as you know, we want to be real with you, and this is a real-life conversation if there ever was one. That is definitely the hope. I mean, we've, like you said, we've shared in pockets. Um, I've shared about other significant parts of my life story, and as I've processed through the surprise, you know, the grief, the real-life stuff of unexpectedly losing my husband. I did. I needed some time. I wanted to uh, allow some space um, for myself, for my own personal healing, for healing of those close to him. But I also know more than ever, honestly, especially in the last like eight months, I feel like the Lord has continued to confirm to me over and over again about how he does have a calling on my life to allow my story, every single part of it, to point to him and that the hard parts um, have purpose. And so this is a part of my story that I have held back on the larger scale, have shared it with those that are close to me. And if I've felt one-on-one, it would help someone. Um, but I think we're in agreement in conversations we've been having that it's time for this piece of my story to be shared so that someone else can be encouraged by it. Absolutely. So we're going to roll back to two years ago, Julie, and you know, we, you and I were already working together. We, we were already friends. We had already lived some life and you know, you got a phone call. You got a totally unexpected phone call that said, Julie, something's happened to your husband. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I think I was actually leaving your house. I think I had been working with you and I was headed to pick up my son um, from daycare and I got a Missed call from my father-in-law, and I always ignore his call, which sounds wrong, but it's because he doesn't know how to use his phone, and so usually he accidentally calls me. And so I ignored the first one, and then he called right back, and I thought, that's weird. And so um, I picked up, and he said, did you get a call from the detective? That's a weird sentence. Yeah, it's a weird sentence. Not, not a good sentence. Uh-uh, yeah. Not at all. Um, no, what detective? Um, and he said, I don't really know much, but Paul's had an accident, and it's not good. And he was working about an hour and a half, two hours away from us at the time. And so he was on the other coast. And so his father said, it's not good and we need to get there. Okay. And so by the time I made it to their house, I had to pick up my son. And then I went to my husband's parents' house so that my son could stay with my mother-in-law. And my my father-in-law and I were going to travel over to the other coast to find out what had happened. By the time I had picked up my son and gotten to their house, I pulled up to their house and they were packing their truck, my son included. Um, And I was like, what is happening? I thought he was staying here. And they said, we got another call. They they sound urgent that we need to be there and we're all going. So we rode over two hours in the car, not knowing what we would find. 
arrived at the hospital to find out that he had fallen from a ladder um, while working and had suffered a significant brain injury and they had rushed him into brain surgery. And when the surgeon came out to share with us, you know, his findings and the prognosis, he said, he'll survive the next 24 hours. If he lives after that, he'll have a very long recovery. We'll just have to see. Mm, cannot imagine all of the emotions going through your mind and heart at that point, Julie. And I know he fell on a Wednesday. Am I correct? It was a Wednesday. Yep, it was a Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. And then for the next few days, it was a blur, right? I know. I call it the long day. Yeah. So he be. fell on Wednesday. Um, and they told me that they would they would scan him the next morning to find out if the surgery had been successful, if it had improved his condition. And um, the next morning, they decided not to scan him, which was very confusing for me. Um, everything was confusing, let's be real. Oh, who, um, who would know anything about the world you just walked in? None of us would be prepared for exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. And what was so amazing is how... Um, you know, I had I was over two hours away from home, and people just started showing up. Our pastors, my best friends, our people started flying in mm. because I did have a sense that it wasn't good. Yeah. So a couple of our close friends who didn't live nearby, I called them and said, "I think you should come." So people started showing up, and um, one of his best friends actually had come to visit, and so I was walking back with him to let him see Paul for the first time. Um, I said, yeah, you know, they just went and took him for a scan, but they told me it'll be at least six hours before they have it read. So, you know, why don't you come see him and then we can get some food or something. So we walked back into the room and while I was in there with his friend, the surgeon came in. I didn't know it was the surgeon. And he basically just said, well, the scans are back. It's not good. It's time to start thinking about his organs. That's all you heard? You didn't hear anything before that point? That, no. That's a little bit of No, the last I had heard was it was going to be several hours. Yeah. And it had been like 30 minutes. Yeah. So his best friend looked at me very confused, to which I did as well. I'm like, I think this guy is telling me that the scans are red and it's not good. To which I said, are you, are, are you saying that it didn't work? And he actually said to me, well, you knew it wasn't good yesterday. You were faced with a really, really hard reality that you had to walk through then for a couple more days. Yep. So basically, I walked out of that room then understanding that he wasn't going to survive. And so I, I remember sitting down with the full doctor team. And obviously, I was not uh, in my best mindset. It was a lot to take in. Um, it took me some time, actually, to fully process what they were saying because I, I kind of understood it as, okay, the surgery didn't save him, so now he will slowly pass away. Um, and the doctors had to kind of stern, sternly say, the surgery prevented him from dying, or the surgery was to try to save his life and it didn't work, but it's also going to prevent him from dying. So at this point, you have to decide when to remove care, and take him off of the machines that are keeping him alive. That was Thursday, Friday that this went on? <laughs> that was the long day. The long day of I three days. I think it was Friday. Yeah, and in that whole time, yes, I know you, you just basically lived at the hospital. And oh, yes. then Sunday was the day that you took him off the ventilator. Am I correct? Yeah, so what happened is once once it clicked, it literally like it was cl it clicked, where I was like, Oh, I see what you're saying. You're waiting for me to tell you that we can stop care. 
Um, and I said, oh, absolutely. My husband would not want to live like this and there is no life to be had. So what's next? I've, I've never been here before. What's next, you know? And so they said, it'll take us probably 24 to 36 hours to match his organs, potential patients. Um, and so we'll be in a little bit of a waiting phase. And I said, all right, let's do it. Um, and so it was Sunday morning when they scheduled the time that they were going to take him off the machines. You know, at this point, Julie, I, I kind of want to go backwards from this point and go to a place in time where a lot of people already knew you through a video series you did called Praying for Your Husband. Um, every week, I know, you would go and put yourself on camera and talk to other women who were in a place in life that they needed to pray for themselves, their husband, and their marriage. Mm -hmm. And you did that from a personal place because you needed to pray for your marriage. Your marriage was not was not lovely and beautiful and perfect. Uh, and we need to pray for our marriage no matter what, but you really had a heart because that's the place you found yourself in. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I had found a book probably two years into being married. And the truth is, is it didn't take long of me being married until I recognized that I was in a really unhealthy marriage. And I didn't really know what to do about it, and I didn't really know how to talk about it. And he didn't really have the same concerns that I did about the emotional health and um, stability of the ways that we interacted. And so I just felt very lost. And so I somehow heard of the book, Power of a Praying Wife. So as I read that book, I recognized that the only person I could change in our marriage was myself. And that my responsibilities as a wife were not contingent on whether or not I thought my husband was fulfilling his responsibilities. And I committed myself to spending time daily with the Lord where I could be honest with him about my fears, my loneliness, and my hurt in my marriage. And I knew that that was a good thing for me to do with that. And I needed to know how to continue to show up in my marriage when I felt like my husband wasn't showing up in a lot of the ways that he had promised to me that he would. And so I started praying daily for my husband. And then it occurred to me that other people might have those same needs. And I wanted to be somebody who could encourage other women that even when your marriage isn't as you hoped, you can always pray about it. And so I did. I started doing it almost daily live series um, where I would just share about something on my heart about marriage, and then we would pray for that thing. And man, that was so helpful for me. Well, and I think, too, one thing that you did at that time that you've always done, Julie, is be honest. And, you know, it's really important to you and I that we do nothing to dishonor Paul mm -hmm. and that we, we actually honor his life in this conversation. But I also know during that season, he struggled. He struggled a lot with depression and anxiety and, you know, panic attacks and things that just made things difficult. And in your prayer life, you were specific about God heal him of these things. God help him in these things. Mm -hmm. And that was part of the process. Absolutely. I mean, I definitely tried to, I mean, when I was doing a live video four to five days a week, 
Um, <laughs> there was plenty of opportunity to cover different things. And gosh, I'm so grateful that God even just put that on my heart to do because it kept me faithful to pray for him and to make sure that I was lifting those things up. And you know what was interesting is I would come home sometimes and catch him watching one of my videos. Hmm. How did and he I, feel about it? <laughs> and, and I sometimes I would see him and he would kind of look at me like, oh, I didn't want you to know that I was watching it. And then sometimes he would just say, you know, that was a good one, babe. <laughs> but toward, toward the end, um, it had become an issue to him because we had gotten to a place where he knew that I needed more from him and I had made some pretty bold and clear requests for him to address some of the issues that we were experiencing um, and he was choosing not to. And I, I knew I had to stop doing the videos because at, there was even a point where he even began to kind of hold that against me that I was doing it. Well, and I think we will never say that prayer doesn't answer things because oh, sure. prayer absolutely answers our needs. But we also have to realize that God can change hearts willing to change or change lives that are willing to change. And at that point in your relationship, you know, Paul's heart wasn't there and his willingness wasn't there. And I, I watched you, Julie, I, I hate, you know, this is hard to say, but I watched you fall apart. I watched your health decline. I watched your emotions in chaos. I watched your spiritual life get beaten down. And you found yourself at a place where you had to make some hard choices, not ones that any of us ever want to make, but ones that were necessary for your survival. Yeah, I mean, just even hearing you say I was falling apart, it's true, I was. And I remember a couple months before kind of the worst part of it, I recognized that I had been begging him for years to go and get some counseling to process some of the things that, you know, his anxiety and his depression were rooted in difficult things. And on a surface level, I understood that, but I couldn't help him. Um, and I couldn't make him get help. And so I finally came to a place that I think is so important for women to recognize that once you, re once you get to the point where the person who you love but is hurting you refuses to get help, that should not prevent you from getting help. And Absolutely, so Julie. I finally took the scary step to start getting some of my own counseling. Um, because here's the deal. I, I strongly believe in the permanency of marriage. But I was getting to a place where I didn't know how I could continue to be in a marriage where I was being neglected in the ways that I was, where I was being hurt in the ways that I was. And so I, I went to get some counseling to process, how do I stay when it's become so emotionally exhausting and taxing? I began getting some counseling and recognized that I was in what's considered a codependent relationship. And as I've learned about codependency, I recognize, of course, I was in a codependent relationship. My childhood primed me perfectly <laughs> to, uh, to end up in this type of marriage. And I recognize that now as I've worked through those things and as I've addressed my childhood pain and trauma. But now, you know, my, my early 30s, I'm recognizing, wow, all of those hard things played a role in my life being joined to Paul's. And I don't, I, I didn't even recognize that the way I was being treated 
was unhealthy because it's all I'd ever known my whole life. We want our listeners to know you're not alone in that. Yeah. There's a lot of women out there that find themselves in this place. And, you know, in this conversation, Julie, I know our intention is not to hurt marriage, but to help women heal, yeah. to help them find the support they need, to help them find the help, the counseling, the clarity that they need that you had to find at that point. And I know that you did, and it was a necessary step for you to take. Absolutely. I mean, it was it was both enlightening and also humiliating to come to terms with the fact that the behaviors that I was experiencing in my marriage um, were in fact codependent and very unhealthy and damaging. Um, the fact that I was made to feel as though every problem he experienced, which was most days, I mean, he would call me most days and say, well, this has been the worst day of my life. And I instantly we would be filled with responsibility to make it better for him. So it was always my fault or it was my responsibility to fix whatever the hard thing he was going through. And that's peacemaking, that it was on me to make his life easier. And then there's the, the eggshells of what is he going to be like when he gets home? Um, and, you know, I don't want to say anything that could set him off. And, you know, I should probably have sex with him tonight to make him feel better, even though we're not emotionally connecting at all. But that makes him feel better, and so I need to do that. The fact that he would go days without speaking to me if he was upset with me for something. And I was just, that's just how it was. That's just how it was. Well, and that is that life that you were living, and again, a lot of women find themselves, is what took a toll which you at that point were drowning in hurt. Mm -hmm. And you needed to get help. You needed to get perspective and you had gotten counseling. So, you know, to try to figure out how to do something with this, is there any way you can change this road you're on? I know you took some difficult steps. Yeah, I mean, I, I had started to feel the pressure of how unhappy and how unhealthy I felt our marriage was. And, and I was communicating to him all along that I had these significant concerns and that I wanted him to get help and I wanted us as a couple to get help. And that while he wasn't choosing that, I was seeking health and guidance on my own. Um, and during that time, we ended up moving. And shortly after we moved out there, the stress of how can I clearly communicate more how, how unsure and how unsafe I feel I began, my body literally started shutting down. I started getting this infectious rash on my face, which, I mean, you remember it. Oh yeah. My face was literally oozing yellow goo. And I'm sorry to say that, but it was disgusting and it was uncontrollable and no doctors could tell me what it was. And I remember after about the fourth or fifth day of just excruciating pain, um, um, he turned to me and said, I know that the face thing is me. I know what's causing it, it's me. Well, and I think that the, a lot of these scenarios, a lot of these places women find themselves in, it's not that the men don't really get it. It's that perhaps they don't want to do anything about it. Yeah. And I think the hard thing as Christian women is that we commit to marriage, mm -hmm. and it's the right thing to do. And we say we're going to last it out, do or whatever. Mm -hmm. We go the long haul. 
which is what we're supposed to do. But when it becomes so unhealthy, I don't think that's what God expects. I think that he is a God of grace and he knows that sometimes you have to take more difficult, challenging steps. And this is where you found yourself, Julie. Yeah. And that's exactly right. Um, we had been married at this point, you know, 11 years. And I think while, while we were married about four years, I remember having a very significant conversation with him, you know, with people who we trusted, also trying to confront him on some things that needed to change. So that was kind of my first attempt of, hey, things have got to change. And they improved for a couple months, and then we went right back to where we were. And then about a year and a half before we had our son, I actually took a week and went basically on a you know solo vacation to get some clarity and to get some... Um, I really needed to get with God and say, I don't know how to keep doing this. How, how can I stay when it's this bad? And so there had been moments where I had tried to say, hey, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it like this anymore. And I was at another one of those places. And I didn't know what to do. But there was a moment where Lincoln was three at the time. And the truth is, is he probably should have been potty trained, but we had just moved out into the boonies, okay? And I was under all of this pressure with Paul. And I remember thinking I was changing Lincoln's diaper and it occurred to me that I shouldn't even have him in diapers anymore. And I knew that physically and emotionally, I could not handle one more challenge. And potty training I had heard was going to be hard. (laughs) So I remember looking into the face of my beautiful little boy who loved his daddy so much and his daddy loved him and loved him well. But I remember looking into Lincoln's face and saying, if I keep enduring this, if I keep sending the message that I will continue to be treated this way, I will raise another man who will grow up to treat his wife like this one day. And I can't do that. So you made a decision, Julie, and I know we we walked through it with you and you decided to uh, move away for a time, move and live separately and see if there could be healing, if there could be something that would make Paul say, I want this marriage enough to do the hard work. I had considered for a couple weeks that maybe it was time to separate from him. It was a, I need some space in order to feel safe. Um, and also to make it completely clear that I will not accept this treatment anymore. And also, um, I I did communicate to him that my heart was for him to actually get the help that I thought he had needed for years and that I would no longer live in the house with him and our child watching him continue to refuse to get the help he needed to continue to self-medicate with alcohol and workaholism that those behaviors were no longer going to be tolerated by my staying. So I did. I found a place where I could stay for a couple months, you know, and I clearly communicated, my heart is to be restored to you, but I can't stay the way things are. I know that was a really hard decision for you too, Julie, because, you know, you, I, I know you. I know you're, I'm in it. I'm in it no matter what, whether it's exercise, whether it's the grit and grace, whatever it is in your life, you're all in. But you knew at that point that you couldn't be all in this way. There was an unknown. 
you didn't know if he would get the help. You didn't know where this would go. You just knew that you had to take that break, that you had to walk away enough to get clarity and counseling and see if he would do the same. So what happened then? I mean, you're exactly right that that's totally how it was. And the truth is, is he knew. He knew that about me. He knew that I was all in. And he had taken advantage of me in that way. He had taken my commitment to him as his wife for granted. Um, And that's what I was basically saying to him. You know that I'll stay. And you you have used that as an excuse to not show up for me for the majority of our marriage. And I cannot... I cannot tolerate it anymore. And so um, I found a place for Lincoln and I to stay and I asked him to get help. And I said, if you get help and make changes that can last, then I want to make our marriage work. But right now, the focus is on you taking steps to get help and to make changes. He did. At least he started down the road of counseling and speaking to someone who was actually helping him and returning to his faith that he had not walked in for a while. There was a long road ahead of you, a long road, and there was no promise of total healing. But I know you had a couple of times where you were together in that period that you had conversations that were important to you. Yeah, this is where it starts to get a little crazy. And we talk about we talk about the intimacy of our God. And this is this is my heart in this, is that you would hear and know that God sees every single thing that happens in your life. Um, nothing is wasted and nothing is outside of of his plan for you. Um, while we were separated, I had begun noticing in the word. God had started bringing passages into my daily reading about widows. And I remember writing in my journal, this is weird. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you're talking to me about widows. And and I'm, you know, you can be honest with God, ladies. That's, that's what he's for. (laughs) Absolutely. He wants that. And I, I wrote out a verse that I had come across and I said, God, why are you talking to me about widows? Are you just trying to drive home the fact that ultimately you're my husband? Even when I can't trust my physical husband, you're my husband? But the passage also talked about a stubborn and rebellious person living in a parched land. And let's be real, where we were living, I felt like that was a really good description. And so I was like, all right, maybe you're just kind of, you know, showing me that, you know, I I kind of feel like a widow because I don't have the covering of a healthy husband, but I have you. And so it's okay. And And this is a season where Paul needs to recognize that he's been rebellious and return to you. And you're right. He was. He was. When he passed away, we were two months into what I thought would be a three-month separation. So we were two months into, we had agreed that the three-month mark, we would reassess if we were moving in the right direction. And God had been showing me in his word about widows. He had been seeing a counselor and I had seen his counselor once, which was, I was so glad when he asked me to come and and talk to him because I I knew that he wanted to be fair and balanced and he wanted to really help us as a couple. And I could sense that he really wanted to help Paul. 
And in the interactions I'd had with Paul, I could tell that Paul respected and trusted this man, which gave me such hope. And so I came and sat down with his counselor and this counselor, um, he and I had a very honest conversation where he said, you know, I've, I've heard from Paul and I shared with him the things that I experienced. Um, and his counselor agreed that it was a codependent, unhealthy relationship where I was being neglected and abused. And he looked me in the eyes and said, if he does not make the changes we're talking about in these moments, I will, I will support your decision to divorce him. That had to smack you up the side of the head, Julie, because I know, I know you knew that was a real possibility if things didn't change because you couldn't go on. But at the same time, I know your heart, and I know you wanted this covenant, this marriage that you had committed to, to last. But it also had to give you a, all right, I, I know where I'm at. I know where Paul's at. Where do we go from here? So after that meeting, he scheduled our first counseling where Paul and I would be together. Um, and it was scheduled for the Sunday before his accident. And something happened that, for whatever reason, on Sunday, he bumped it to Tuesday, which means we had our very first counseling as a couple the night before his accident. And in that session, our first session, where we really said, all right, we got to figure out what needs to be worked on in order for us to rebuild this thing. Because I did. I said to him, I want to stay married to you, but I can't stay married to you the way that we've been doing it for the last 11 years. It has to be different. We've got to completely start over and build on a strong foundation of mutual respect, of you know, emotional vulnerability, where I can trust you with my heart and the same from him you know, where our relationship is not only physical and financial, because that's kind of what it had become. And I, and I was very honest with him of the areas where I felt like he was neglecting me. And he owned it. And that was the first time in the 11 years that we've been together that I felt like he really owned it. Mm. And that was so sweet. And we walked out of that counseling meeting, which PS also had some really <laughs> hard moments, but that's okay, that's what counseling is about. He walked out of the office in front of me um, and turned around and reached for my hand, which was a, a silent, unspoken thing that I wanted to say to him. You realize you never even hold my hand anymore. You know, mm. it's like, we'll go somewhere together and you don't even notice that I'm there. And so when he reached for my hand, it was a moment of like, okay, he's trying really hard. And I felt like the Lord said, see that, see that moment, you know? And so I looked up at him, I took his hand, and I looked up at him, and we had this silent, unspoken agreement where we said to each other, you know how couples can talk with oh, their eyes. Oh, yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We said, this is going to be really hard. But we're in it, and we're going to do it. Julie, I know that that phone call you got the next day would have been the last thing you thought was going to happen? What, what went through your head? What went through your heart? What were you feeling and thinking at that moment? You know, ironically, he actually called me about an hour before his accident. Um, I think it was a pocket dial. <laughs> I don't think he intended to call me. 
and you know we were we were having the separation so we weren't speaking regularly it was kind of understood that we didn't speak on the days that we weren't exchanging lincoln um, but he had texted me that morning to let me know he was safe at work and i said okay love you which i hadn't really been saying you know because we're having the space sure so when i got that call back to the call right i remember the spirit of the lord I, was, I went right back to that, that unspoken moment with him as I'm getting the call. And it's like God said, I know you said you would do it, but I'm doing something different here. So the last five days of Paul's life in the hospital, God really rewrote your story, the story that you thought you were on, the, the road, the path that you thought you and Paul had set was suddenly changed. The dynamic was changed. Everything about your world was changed at that moment. Oh, man, that night before, um, when they finally, you know, had matched him with all the organs that they wanted to be able to donate, we'd had so many friends come and see us. It was beautiful. The, The night before, we'd kind of gotten the schedule. We knew they were going to schedule his, um, his, the procedure where they took him off the ventilator for Sunday morning. So Saturday afternoon was kind of, all right, there's definitely, there's definitely a lull now. Um, my mom had flown in. I had decided that that night I could leave the hospital. I've been sleeping on a chair yeah, um, for the last three nights, not wanting to leave where he was. Sure. But that night, you know, there was the beginning of the peace that we knew what was going to happen now and we knew when it was going to happen. And um, it was time, you know. And so I went in to have, that last conversation with him. And you're right, everything had changed. Everything had changed. And, you know, the last conversation I had with him, I was very stern. I was very honest. You know, I had communicated to him my hurt and my fears, but also my love for him and how I wanted, I wanted our marriage to work. Now here I am, sitting next to him, lying in a hospital bed, And I, I remember I walked into the room like, what am I supposed to say to him, God? What do, you, what do you say for your last conversation? Especially when there's this much history, you know? Mm-hmm. What do I say to him? And as I walked into his room, the Lord said, I want you to wash his feet. Which, you know, if you're familiar with the Bible, that's something that Jesus did to his disciples the night before he passed and, and said that, it was an example to us. And so um, I was like, yeah, God, that's the thing to do. One last act of service to my husband to wash his feet. But I'm thankful that I walked with him for our years together and I told him that I loved him and that every step that we took together mattered and that I was proud to be known as Mrs. Julie Graham. And that I would always, I would always thank God for the fact that he allowed me to be that man's helpmate because I recognized that it was, it was God's call for me to do life with him. 
for those 11 and a half years. That although I suffered, it was not easy. In fact, it was just hard. It was right and it was good. And God used it to refine me. And I'm thankful that I was given that privilege. And I know that about you, Julie. Those aren't just words. And I saw your hurt. I saw your pain. I saw you drowning in all of that. And I know there's been a lot of healing. I know you've had to sort through a lot of things the last two years and work it all out. But I have watched that part of your life make you stronger. That part of your life make you braver and more compassionate. And so what you're saying right now, those aren't empty words. You are thankful for that. Does not diminish the hurt and the pain. And it doesn't belittle other women's hurt and pain if they're walking through that. And it doesn't dictate their future. But I think everything we experience can be part of our story and should be part of our story and make us who God wants us to be, which is what it's done for you and why we're even talking about it today. Oh, for sure. Those last couple months, there were, there were moments where I, I questioned, why did I even marry this man? And that's okay. It's okay to question those things. And like you said, to sort them out in my own mind, in my relationship with God, and then in my relationship with Paul. And then to be able to, honestly, it was basically making amends with him. To say, I know why I was married to you. I needed you and you needed me. And I would not be the woman that I am today if I was not known as Mrs. Julie Graham, and I'm thankful for that. But then I told him how happy I was for him, that he wouldn't struggle anymore. That he wasn't going to live the worst day of his life every day anymore. That he could be free. God took him home. God took him home. And I'm thankful for that. The very last few moments of his life, I know the doctors had talked to you about organ donation and the the people, the patients that were waiting to be recipients of Paul's organs. And I know that that was, that was something that was really important to the family. You want to think this death could bring hope to other people, Absolutely. not just break our hearts, but actually offer someone else joy and hope in what they could possibly receive from this moment in time. So what happened next, Julie? Yeah, Paul had chosen um, to be an organ donor. And honestly, even if he hadn't, his parents and I agreed that we wanted to um, to do that so that there, like you said, there may be something good could come from this. And um, I, I left those moments where I washed his feet and said my final goodbye. And my mom and I were driving away from the hospital. And I was telling her about those moments. And I said, you know, I really, gosh, I really hope that um, as many people as possible um, could have their lives saved as a result of his. I said, because I want his life to matter. And as I said those words, instantly I felt the Lord say, oh, Julie, his life matters. And it was like, you know, it was like a fatherly, mm-hmm. oh, Julie, his life matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I literally said to my mom, this just in. <laughs> uh, I think God just told me that he's probably not going to donate his organs because his life matters even if he doesn't. And so the next morning, um, several friends gathered around, our pastors and my best friends. We had a time of worship around his hospital bed before we took him back to where they would take the machines off. And um, 
They kept saying to me, you know, Mrs. Graham, he's very young and healthy. However long it takes, I'll be here. And they said, if it takes longer than 24 hours, we'll move him into hospice where you and he can be more comfortable while you wait. Okay, great. We'll just see what happens. So we got back there. Um, his parents and I and one of my uh, close mentors came back and they turned the machines off. And um, he took one really big, horrifying breath. And his vitals were made strong for the next 20 minutes. There was like lots of people with clipboards and yeah. a big timer. And we're literally just watching the clock to see. And um, yeah, at about the 30 minute mark, he had only diminished in, you know, his quality had only diminished by like 15, 20%. Didn't look good <laughs> for the end goal of these organ transplants. And I remember at about the 20 minute mark, I just kind of had a shift. I said, okay, I think I'm right. I think he's not going to be donating his organs today. And we might be here a while. And that's all right. Because these are my last moments with my husband. So what does a wife do in those moments, Julie? Most of us will never go through that. And I pray that we won't. But you did. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had kind of been taking shifts and turns, kind of letting his parents stand next to him and me kind of standing next to him. But once I kind of recognized that this could be a while, um, I kind of I kind of positioned myself in such a way that it was clear that I was now going to stand here, and I, I put my hand into his. And I just said to him, till death do us part, babe, I'm here, you and me, however long it takes. And uh, I just started telling him, that he was strong. You know, that's what the doctors told me, he's strong. And so I said, you're strong, babe, you're right. You know, because I know I had said to him some that he needed to be stronger. I'd, I'd said things that I regretted. And so I wanted him to hear me saying, you're strong, I'm proud of you. Look how strong you are. I'll stand here as long as it takes. So I sat there and I told him that I was proud of him. I was thankful for him that I would stand there as long as I could and should. Um, the song Good Good Father kept going through my mind and so I would I alternated between humming the words to that song to him and telling him how proud of him I was and how thankful I was um, to be his wife and that I would be there until death did us part and about five minutes before the 60 minute mark all of a sudden he took another big breath and his organ function went down by like 50% it was a big deal. The room started buzzing. Everyone's like, oh, is this happening? And I remember I was like, oh, wait, God. Oh, we are doing this? All right, all right. <laughs> um, and so all the nurses started getting you know, ready for their specific organs. And it looked like it was going to happen. Um, but then he remained in that state. And then it was an hour and three minutes. An hour and four minutes. And I could, I'm looking all the doctors in the eye like, but we're still going? Like, we still have a chance? And um, he passed at one hour and seven minutes. And uh, I said, can we do it? Can we do it? The main doctor looked at me and he said, we could have done one hour and six minutes. Hmm. We can't do it an hour and seven. And God again 
had his own plan. Because his life mattered. Because his life mattered. So at that point, um, his mom had left. She was not, you know, she wasn't able to stay in during all of that. Completely understandable, of course. So she wanted to come and say her final goodbye. So she came in, um, and I think she took about five minutes. But, you know, I stood there. His hand was getting colder around mine. But I said, no, I'll be the last one to walk away from him. And so she said her goodbye. His dad said his goodbye. They walked away, and I, I kissed him one more time. I told him I loved him, and I would see him in heaven. And I walked away. You know, Julie, what's amazing in this entire story is, again, God. Yeah. Again, God. Again, God. That he showed himself through every single part of it, yeah. whether it was the struggles whether it was the challenges of your marriage, whether it was the separation, or whether it was the final moments that you had with Paul. It was always, again, God. And I think sometimes we don't recognize the fact that the unpredictable roads that we find ourselves on are the ones that God knew were going to be there. That he knew that those were the ones he intended for us. And Julie, he intended this road for you. I mean, if there's anything I've learned through this collection of chapters <laughs> in my life story is that, I think I told you this yesterday, I have zero doubt anymore because of this section of my life. I'll never be able to doubt the fact that God is intimately involved in every single detail and nothing escapes his planning um, and that it all does work together for his children. And so... When something surprising or out of the ordinary happens now, I almost kind of laugh because I'm like, all right, God, what are you going to do with this? Because you have shown me time and time and time again from, you know, my, my unhealthy childhood to my unhealthy marriage to widowhood to rediscovering myself now. God has been with me every step and he's not going to leave me now. He's not going to leave me. He will always provide for me the grit and the grace that I'll need moment by moment. And I do know, Julie, that's that's why we even decided for you to tell your story. That's why we even yeah. opened this up yeah. to you know our listeners because we want you ladies who are listening to know God's writing your story. And it doesn't always go the way you planned. Your marriage might fall apart. Your marriage might be restored. You may lose your husband in one way or the other. Your health, your family, things don't always work out the way we think they're going to or we expect. But, but God, but God will always be there for you. He will always be there with you and give you the grace that you need at every moment in time like you just heard he did for Julie. Absolutely. If, if you get nothing else from this time, that is most certainly my prayer is that you would understand that and that you would, you would turn your heart and your faith to him. If you don't know him, I pray that you would come to trust him. If you do know him, I hope that you would choose to trust him more or again in a fresh and real way. So we're going to end this episode like we do every other with a quote, but I think knowing that this one is from Julie Graham and just hearing her story, you will understand it even more. 
I don't know exactly what the future holds, but I'm stepping forward with grit, anchored in grace. Thank you for listening to a difficult but lovely story, and join us next week on This Grit and Grace Life. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Grit and Grace Life podcast, brought to you by the Grit and Grace Project online magazine. Whether you're listening in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or streaming the show, be sure to take a couple moments to subscribe, rate, and review so you never miss the next episode. You can also share the show with a friend you think might enjoy living a Grit and Grace life with us. Every week we share all the details on everything we discuss in the episode at thegritandgraceproject.org. We'll catch you on the next one.